Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hi, this is Jen Kirkman. Before you listen to this episode, this is a little special disclaimer that is not taped from any sort of professional recording device. So please, this is not really what the podcast normally sounds like. And I would advise if you're new to the podcast, maybe start with a different episode. (laughs) But I wanted to add a little disclaimer because I taped this episode um, over the past weekend and I was talking about um, some certain comedy clubs that had booked a recently accused uh, com- recently accused rapist who is also a comedian. Um, he has multiple allegations against him. He is um, in the LA Times uh, with those allegations. And uh, a bunch of comedy clubs were booking him. And this episode you will see is largely about me battling with those clubs on Twitter. Um, since I recorded the episode, two of those clubs, the ones specifically that I talk about in this episode, uh, they are, they no longer have this comedian on their calendar. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if the pressure from the internet mounted and they decided they did not want to do business with an alleged rapist after all. But, um, if anyone's getting riled up by listening to this episode and they want to take any action against uh, those clubs, they don't need to because they are no longer, uh, have an alleged rapist on their calendar. So if you're like, what the hell kind of disclaimer is this? I'm just trying to check out this new podcast I never heard of. I told you it's a weird episode to start with, but here we go. Enjoy the theme song and keep in mind what I said as you're listening to the episode. Um, but I figured I'd keep this content in here just for posterity and, there you go. Have fun. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. Shout now, she's not going to shout. So get your headphones ready to hear what it's all about. About now, when it's all about. We'll have no fun, no fun, because your purpose podcast comes out today. We'll have no No Fun, the Jen Kirkman Podcast, episode 354. What is this podcast? I am Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. 
My two Netflix specials, I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living, are streaming now on Netflix. But this is not that. This is not a comedy special. I don't know why I have to explain myself. You know what a podcast is. It's a person talking, being the more real version of themselves. I think for some reason when women do it, people like to write, you're not funny. Well, this isn't for that. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's serious. But it's always real. This week, what are we going to talk about? Well, um, you know, I if you're new to the podcast, I have a feeling I might be uh, getting some new people. Because I'm on a new podcast network. I'm part of the Misfit Toys Collective, started by Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap of Never Not Funny. You can listen to all the great shows in the collective. There are more coming, but right now we've got the Todd Glass Show, the 30-year-old boy, Doug Loves Movies, and myself. Now, here's the deal. I don't even know what I was saying. Oh, the deal is this. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Oh, it's been a day. Okay, uh, the deal is this. Oh, this is what we're going to talk about this week. So I, th- I probably have a lot of new followers. I don't, uh, this is not a comedy podcast where I sit around and talk about comedy, but since it is my life, it will come up now and again. But I, I know that you, whatever podcast app you're listening to this on, you have the freedom to scroll and look at uh, descriptions of other episodes. But this week I will be talking about The terrible response that a comedy club had to me fucking with them for booking alleged rapist, Brian Callen. In my mind, it's not alleged, but I say that because I guess that's what you're supposed to say. And the reason it's not alleged in my mind is because I'm a little bit on the inside on this one. I know some things. That's all I'm going to say. Well, why don't you say something? What's been said has been said, but I... I can confirm. But anyway. When I do these kinds of episodes, I always feel guilty after I want to delete them. I want to not release them because I always feel weird speaking up. I always feel like I sound like a psycho. I always feel like. Somehow I will say one sentence that will get misconstrued. It will be written up. It will be posted. But I just have to try to take it slow and articulate. Now, I want to talk about this incident that happened that, you know, there's kind of some humor to it in an odd way. I'll point out the humor when we get to it. Also, by the way, join me on Patreon.com. That is the paid version of the podcast. There are videos, uh, the video version. You get to see my fun new neon sign that says no fun. You get bonus episodes every week, every week a 20-minute bonus episode if you're on Patreon, depending on the pay level that you are at, and then once a month, a one-hour bonus episode, and then so many other little bonuses, like I might toss out some stand-up that I recorded on the road over the last four years that you haven't heard anywhere else or seen on Netflix. So there you go, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I will not be touring for at least another year. It is the best and only way to support me. Um, This is my only job right now. 
And you're probably thinking, oh, well, she probably makes a million dollars a year on that Patreon. She got all these fans. Only about 1% of a person's fans join their Patreon. And you can't live on the 1% unless the 1%, the, the actual 1%, is your fan base. And they join at levels that they've invented. I'm, I'm doing the $5,000 level. I'm in the 1%. So... Please join. Pay my bills. I would love it. Aren't you a millionaire from being on Netflix? No, that's... What am I, Dave Chappelle? Everybody gets a different pay grade depending on their fame. And depending on... I mean, listen, I'm not... No one was signing up for Netflix to watch my specials. It was just part of you know you those people like me don't that we don't get them one million and up dollar deals can i just watch your netflix specials and you get paid every time i watch that not how it works just join the patreon that's how you do that's how you support All right. Anyway, so let's get into the episode and then we're going to talk about fun things like the planet Venus. There might be life on it or signs of life or signs that there could be life or something. Listen, it's not going to get us out of this hellhole anytime soon. It's just fun to think about. Got some listener emails about irrational fears. I think that's all. I, I bet this. I bet what I'm talking about today will take longer than I think. So let's get into it. Oh boy! I want to blow through this part really quickly. Brian Callen, a comedian, he was on a podcast called "The Fighter and the Kid" with this other guy who's an MMA fighter. Brian is in that Joe Rogan collective of people. Now, again, don't just see everyone's minds does this. You say the word Joe Rogan, everyone's off and running. I hate him. I this him. I that him. I don't even think about him ever. I don't care. I'm going to get into my thoughts on Joe Rogan in a minute. But let me tell you this. So this Brian Callen. Oh, I've had heard rumblings about him forever. But I don't know him. I don't I think I met him once two seconds at Largo 20 years ago in L.A. But these very credible, you, you again, you cannot be in the LA Times accusing someone of rape unless it is very credible. Allegations came out against him. His podcast was canceled. He was going to do a prank show with Chris D'Elia, the other sexual assault accuser, accused person. On Netflix, Netflix was going to give a 40-something and 50-something-year-old white guys a prank show. Who wants to see that? That's a prank on us. Just these mean-spirited jerks with a prank show. The prank is, you both got caught being rapey. That's the prank. Bye. But here's the thing. So everyone goes, cancel culture, cancel culture. These are corporations. Do you, if, if you went to work and there'd been an article in the newspaper about how you were accused of rape. Do you think your corporation is going to stand by you? Nobody got anyone canceled. Women told their story. You choose not to believe it. And so you call it cancel culture. It's called, here's a story. This guy raped me. Whether you believe it or not does not imply that there's some culture going on. 
And they go, well, look at all the people online who believed her. They're trying to cancel him. No, no, no. They're going, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. That's happened to me. Or, yeah, this is, I believe her. There's, there's no further step than that. People on the internet can't get you canceled. What does that mean, canceled? He was on a television show called The Goldbergs. He got cast out of that. He's a millionaire. He's got a mansion in Malibu. Why are you defending that one of you, you slobs? He's not one of you. He's fine. Then he started a Patreon. He makes 40 grand a month on it. Okay? He's fine. The one place you can always go once your career has ended in the corporate world of television is stand-up comedy. Why? Is it because we always have free speech no matter what? True, we do. Free speech only means, uh, if you don't have free speech, it means the government has uh, shut you up from speaking and we don't have that in America yet. Thank God we have free speech. So you can stand in the town square and say whatever you want short of yelling fire, right? And I think maybe you have to have some kind of permit. I don't know. But comedy clubs, oh, they they welcome anyone accused of sexual assault whose career has otherwise ended to come perform. Now, why do they do that? Do they love rape? I don't know. It would certainly look that way, but let's just be business-minded about it. No, because the accused rapists fans are rabid. They come to life after that because I don't know, maybe they're also rapists. Maybe they just don't want to believe that the man that they think is so funny could do this. Maybe they just hate women and don't want to hear the stories. Maybe they don't understand that it's bad. I don't, whatever it is, they get fired up. They get fired up. They're like old people voting. They're ready. They're always going to show up. And so it's good business financially to book a rapist at your club. The fans will show up and they'll pay more than the average ticket price. If you're only about money, book a rapist at your club. Holy shit, will you clean up? Now, you say, well, Jen Kirkman, you're very popular. Your Netflix specials, you're very funny. It is true, but my fans are this. I go to Vermont. I'm at the uh, farm stand. You know, the Burlington, Vermont has this, uh, you know, farmer's market every every weekend. So I'm there on a Saturday and I'm buying some vegan banana bread. And this girl goes, oh, my God, I'm your biggest fan. I go, well, you must be so excited because right there across the street I am performing tonight. She goes, oh, I don't like to go out. I have anxiety. Okay. So my fans with anxiety won't go across the street and pay $20 to see me perform. I just bought your shit bread. I support you. You don't support me. That my fans are all home thinking about how much they love my comedy, not willing to pay for it. That's how usually it goes with people who aren't rapists. Their fans are like, ah, they take it for granted. Now when the world is just going to be, who are, comedy and rape are going to be the same thing. Are you going to the rape club tonight? I'm telling you, mark my words. (laughs) What's going to happen? What happened to all the comedians that weren't rapists? Their fans didn't buy stuff. They all made these assumptions that they just do it for the love of it or that they have enough money already. See, the rapist fans don't think these guys could ever have enough money. My fans are doing my taxes for me going, you don't want, you want Joe Biden to win because he's a corporate Democrat. What are you talking about? I've never been rich enough to have my taxes affected or improved. I'm right in the middle there. And by the way, I'm all for paying more taxes. If I'm rich, well, I'm not going to notice it. 
By the way, I already pay a manager, an agent, a lawyer. I, I'm used to keeping 30% of my paycheck. What's, what's a little less? I'm a fucking liberal. Very liberal with that tax shit. But that's a whole other topic, isn't it? So my point is, Brian Callen, who has been canceled everywhere else, not because there's some culture with pitchforks and torches, but because corporations don't want to look bad. See, whether no matter how you want to look at it, the corporations are great or they're just wusses who, you know, are happy to be associated with someone um until they find out the dark, dirty secrets, and they're like, nope, bye. I mean, to me, that makes sense. But it wasn't because a bunch of girls on Twitter were like, hey, he's gross. It was because they saw the Los Angeles Times write an article, and they went, yeah, we can't support this. It's not good for our brand. What, what are you, a business protecting their brand? You're against that? What are you, stupid? What do you do at your work? Do you go, you know what, boss, we need here at the hardware store? We need a neo-Nazi standing outside. Well, sir, that would be bad for business. Oh, you don't like free speech? Well, why do you want a neo-Nazi representing your business? I mean, does this business have anything to do with anything that's pro-neo-Nazi? No, but I just don't want to look like cancel culture got to me. Okay, so Brian Callen goes to the only... Last bastion of free speech, the comedy club. And I'm not saying that as a compliment to comedy clubs. So he gets booked at a bunch of clubs. So now I'm sitting there at home having a margarita that I made. Yeah, it's five points on Weight Watchers. But I had been, I had some extra points. (laughs) So I make a straw, I mean a, a watermelon margarita. I'm not even drunk because I have one. I don't have any more points after that. But I'm just trying to set the scene of a a woman chilling. And I start watching that Challenger documentary. Oh, man. do I I almost didn't start to watch it because I didn't want to get sad. And I thought it was a a all-in-one movie. I didn't realize it was a series. So I put it on. I went, oh, I bet episode one isn't just about it blowing up, which it, it isn't. It mentioned, you know, it starts with that. I'm getting to the rape thing, but I feel this episode could be served better to incorporate all kinds of interesting conversation. And I'm just trying to set the seniors, but I'm watching the Challenger thing. I was going to talk about this anyway, so why not say it now? So I'm watching the Challenger thing. And, uh, you know, I had forgotten that the space program has been such a part of my life as a uh, child of the 70s and and early 80s. You know, I was born in 74, so they picked a whole new swath of astronauts in 1978. That was sort of what the episode one was about. No spoilers, no spoilers. I won't spoil it for you, but, you know, it, it was really cool. You know, it first of all, it's always fun to see old 70s footage and, and people wearing their great 70s outfits. And, you know, the early 80s still looked a lot like the 70s. So just lots of great hair and, and uh, bell bottoms and, you know, people who hadn't been on low fat, high sugar diets already. Just those like 70s bodies <laughs> where just everyone was kind of like, I don't know. 
I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say that there weren't obese people and that's good. What I'm just trying to say is like, there's something about the 70s body that says, I actually get up and move around because I'm not staring at a screen all day. Like even, they're not like... um the way we are now that even if you're skinny, you're flabby, like everyone was muscular and you're like, you've never lifted a weight in your life. You're just muscular because you eat food that burns fat. We don't make that kind of food anymore. So anyway, they're walking around being all 70s. And I and so I start watching. And what I love about it is everyone's into this Challenger shuttle. Now, what I had forgotten is the Challenger's, uh, I think, seventh mission was the one that Krista McAuliffe, the teacher, died on, the one that exploded on takeoff. But Challenger 1 through 6 um, started flying in the early 80s, I think 81 to 85. There was always a new Challenger mission. And the way that they looked at the Challenger rocket was, oh, it's just like a commercial flight. You know, we're going to fly it to space pretty often. And we're going to have, you know, eventually an average person is is going to get on the shuttle. And what I didn't know and what I'm learning in this documentary is that a lot of people at NASA were saying, no, no, we we can't go to space like this. This There's never going to be a shuttle that can be used this often and you can keep comparing it to the safety of a commercial airplane. See see this little thing? There's a lot of soot here. That means this thing is burning too high. Do you see the paint chipping here? This is not a good sign. This one guy kept saying, this is going to blow up. So I haven't gotten far enough yet to find out, you know, what's going on and were there consequences of not listening to him and what was going on. I haven't gotten there yet. But so, but I'm watching it and I'm just getting very nostalgic and I'm, and I'm watching the, the choosing of the 35 astronauts in, in the late seventies that were going to eventually go to space in the eighties. You know, they picked 35 people, put them through training. Some of them will end up flying around, flying around. That's the technical term of being an astronaut. But what was cool about it was you had some diversity, right? Not complete equal representation, but they had a Japanese guy that had some black guys that had some women. And I was like, okay, that's pretty good for the early 80s, you know? And But NASA was very um, purposeful about that. They didn't want the astronaut to just be the same old thing that it had been in the 60s. You know, the white guy with the blonde hair and Robert Redford's going to play him in a movie and then the wives are waving with their bouffant hair. Do they wanted to really, you know, there's post-women's movement, post-civil rights movement. Yeah, let's, let's show America and the world that we're diverse. So it was great. And I just liked the attitude of it, even though, of course, you know, we always get better. We always progress. They they weren't perfect about it. And of course, you know, there are these interviews, Tom Brokaw interviewing the female astronauts and saying, now, when you meet a guy and he says, uh, what do you do at NASA? And you say, I'm an astronaut. Do they go, oh, a little lady like you couldn't be an astronaut. That's my favorite kind of interviewing. And by favorite, I mean, it's horrendous, is the guy who's going, I'm not sexist. I'm not sexist. Let me show you how not sexist I am by bringing up a sexist thing another guy could ask you. Therefore, this whole interview, which could be fascinating and about space, is going to be about you 
you experiencing sexism. And I'm not even asking your consent to speak about uh, an issue that constantly plagues and upsets you on national TV. I'm just going to throw it out at you on air and go. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Oh, by the way, the best scene in the whole thing. Now, people might argue with me that this is not the best scene, but if you're, oh, I'm always coming from one point of view and one point of view only. I miss smoking. And and when I was a smoker, I lived in New York when Giuliani banned it from indoors. Or was it Bloomberg? Whoever. I don't care. Someone banned it from indoors and it ruined my life. Smoking indoors is the point of smoking. Because you got a nice ashtray. It's leisurely. You got your glass drink in your hand. You're not outside huddling in the snow under a, a, a tarp. Anyway, so the best part in this was that <laughs> once all the new, you know, hey, here's all the new people that work at NASA. They're in this giant conference room, long conference table. They're all looking at some kind of whiteboard and people are writing, you know, math in front of every person. I'm not joking. Not one in the middle of the table. In front of every person, there's at least 16 people at this table. In front of every single one of them is a glass ashtray. The way you would look at a business meeting now and it would be a water bottle in front of everyone. An ashtray. Oh God, it was glorious. The other thing I really liked about this is there were people in the streets in Florida chanting USA, USA, because they were excited about progress and science. There was a space shuttle that, my God, we're going to space. I mean, the, the, the way that they were describing it was like, these engines would have to be able to blow something the size of a football field off the face of the earth. You know, they're powerful. That is math. That is science. You know, you're you're using actual, I don't even know how to put it, um, theories and 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 things that, that people that came before us figured out for us to then improve on. Progress, science, you know, science, the thing that gives us vaccines that save lives, like like polio. Science, the thing that, that tries to tell us, hey, guys, you're ruining the planet. But if you do this, we can stop it. Science. But we don't like science anymore. We think it's a hoax. Not me. But I say we because I'm responsible. I'm responsible for helping change minds if I can. Or at the very least, complaining about it on a podcast. But there were people in Florida. Florida. You know what Florida is now. It's our national embarrassment. Florida. People in Florida, USA, USA, because they're excited about science and progress. Nowadays, you go to Florida, people are chanting USA because they don't want to wear a mask. They think it's oppression. 
I was like, I can't believe I'm saying this. I want to go back to the 80s when everything was good. (laughs) That's not true. It wasn't. But that one little thing was great. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking about it just, you know, they show these quick clips of the women's movement and how they're going to be more inclusive with the picking of the astronauts. And I just went, what's Brian Callen up to? You know how you do as a woman every once in a while. They're just a little trigger where you're like, is he performing anywhere, I wonder? So I typed his name into the search bar on Twitter and I saw a few comedy clubs that were tweeting about him. One of them is called Bricktown Comedy Club. I believe that is either in, I think it is in Appleton, Wisconsin. Then there's Skyline Comedy Club, which is in Oklahoma City. They're both owned by the same people. And then uh, Helium Comedy Club, Indiana, Indianapolis. I do not perform there. I will not perform there. I love the Helium chain. I love Philly. I love the one in Portland, Oregon. Shout out to Nick the Booker. I only do the comedy attic when I'm in Indiana in Bloomington, an hour and a half outside of Indianapolis. No hate to Indianapolis. It's just that the comedy attic is the best comedy club in the country run by Jared. Shout out to him. He does not let rapists work his club. He has a small club. You bet he could use the money. Oh, you bet he could use that rapist fan base money, but he wants to create a certain culture at that, at that club. I remember I did, <laughs> I did Jared's club once, uh, many times. And, uh, you know, it's a, he and his wife, they run it. It's a, it's a, they, they put everything into it and he's picking, he's, you know, he's taking tickets. Hello, comedy attic. And, and it was, uh, we were in between shows and I'm sitting in the, his office, which is also the green room and we're chatting. Other comedian that's on the show is there. He's uh, answering phone lines for the late show. Hello, comedy addict. What? No, you can't come and hangs up on uh, potential customers. (laughs) Because it was a woman who said, do you allow bachelorette parties? Now, that is like a comedy club nightmare because it's just going to be a bunch of, I mean, or, you know, most men don't do this, but it's not just, we're not being mean to women here. It's just that it just means it's a group of people screaming and drunk. And he's like, you had an idea. So they call back comedy and what now? He's like, so you had an idea that you're going to come to a club. You know, half hour before the show starts, you're already probably really drunk and you're not going to respect the comedians. If I let you buy tickets, I want you to know that I can kick you out if you heckle. They're like, yes, sir. And they obeyed. He wants to start. He wants to enhance the culture there. He's the only club making audience members wear masks because he understands the absurdity of having even limited seating and six feet apart. You have 30, 40 people in a room all laughing, spewing particles into the air. That is insane. It is to me. I'm not being dramatic. It's almost like involuntary manslaughter. What? Okay. Anyway, so. So I just, what, what's Brian Callen up to? He's at Helium, Indiana. He's at Skyline. He's at Bricktown. So I just wrote under each, co- so each comedy club had a tweet. We're so excited for Brian Callen. Get your tickets. And under each of those, I just wrote one word, gross. <laughs> because it's funny. Listen, I'm a comedian. Imagine if Joe Rogan did that. And we'd be like, that's so cool. Or Bill Burr. Oh my God, it's so fucking punk rock and cool. I just thought, it's funny. I'm busting balls. Hey, look, free market, free speech. You can you can book any comedian you want, and I can say anything I want about it. Don't tell me 
that people can't take a little harassment online. You remember a little thing called the person who accidentally outed Louis C.K., Jen Kirkman, 2014 to 2018? My life was a living hell. If I wasn't a stronger person, I would have jumped off a fucking bridge those years. Harassment online, you want to talk about that? When I said, God forbid, I support Hillary Clinton as she is the nominee... And the Bernie people went crazy calling death threats into my shows, harassing me online, corporate, neoliberal, shill, blah, lost half my audience. I didn't know that half my audience was Bernie bros, so goodbye. So don't tell me what harassment is or isn't. Harassment is not writing the word gross. And if it is, they can take it. They're a comedy club. And when you book a rapist, you must naturally be one of those people who says, let the marketplace decide free speech. Okay, well, as someone in the marketplace who has free speech, I'm giving my opinion. I'm not saying cancel the show. If I, Because cancel the show isn't spelled G-R-O-S-S. I just wrote gross. I'm busting balls, being a little punk, a little punk-ass twat. And guess what? A bunch of other people saw me do that, and then they wrote gross as well. And it's the funniest fucking thing that ever happened because it just wouldn't stop. And then the club blocked me. Oh, fuck. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me that I don't think this was recording? Oh, no, it is. Oh, God. I literally, literally just lost my mind. Okay. So the club blocked me. Now, yeah, they didn't. By the way, I don't want to perform. I, when I go to Oklahoma City, I um, <clears throat> work with a group called OK Comedy and and I do my own independent place there because I don't know offense. When you do a comedy club, you usually have to spend three three days in that city, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I don't want to spend three days there. I just do one nighter. It's an easy flight. And then uh, in terms of Appleton, Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I'd probably do a club there, but I've heard uh, that that club's kind of a disaster. So I, I don't want to do that club either. So, you know, but the point is, And Helium, Indiana, again, we've established I don't want to work there. But the point is, I would do it even if it's a club I worked at. But they blocked me, the two Skyline and the Bricktowns, Helium didn't. They blocked me, which sends a message. It says, um, as a comedian, we don't value your opinion. Fuck you and your fans, Jen Kirkman. If you get blocked by a comedy club on Twitter, you can probably assume they're not going to book you. Again, even I don't want to play the clubs, but I'm just telling you when if you got blocked by a a business and you're in that business, that's the conclusion you would draw. So I start busting their balls. Now, I I put the margarita down. I paused the Challenger documentary. That's right. I'm taking you back to what I was doing. I was just going to write gross and put the computer back. That's all I was going to do. And then I did some clicking around and then I saw it blocked me and I went, what? Wait, what? Oh, oh, well, now i got to start trouble. Oh, see, you just made your life worse, Bricktown and Skyline Comedy Clubs. Oh, see, I would have just gone back to watching my Challenger documentary and thinking about smoking inside. Oh, you just stepped in it with me because I don't give a fuck. I'm crazier than shit, especially during this pandemic. I don't respect a lot of things about comedy anymore. My eyes have become opened during this pandemic about the shit show that it is. And we'll get into that in a second. So I just said, 
I tweeted to everyone, Bricktown and Skyline have blocked me because I wrote gross under the fact that they booked Brian Callen a rapist. Oh, well, even more people went after them. And they wrote gross. And they were going nuts. Now the club starts blocking potential customers or just fans of comedy. So now they've blocked like 50 people. All these people are tweeting me. They just blocked me. They just blocked me. That's what a club's social media is doing, just blocking people. So, you know, I'm making it sound like it's maybe like 30, 40 people. So then the club deletes the tweet. Success! They're not allowed to say they're excited about Brian Callen anymore. Now, they're allowed. They deleted it. But they were harassed so much, they felt self-conscious, so they deleted it. That's all I'm trying to do, is if you want to book rapists, then you're going to hear about it from people, and we're going to poke at you, and we're going to annoy you, and see what you're made of. And then I thought, well, geez, poor Brian, right? Poor Brian. Just a guy having a tough time trying to play a comedy club, and they're excited for him, but 30 people write gross, and that's it? They turn their back on Brian. They're not strong enough to stand up in their decision. Well, look at me. Look at me going, poor Brian. I'm not really thinking that, but you know, I'm just trying to be a little contrarian here. Which is it? You believe in free speech or you don't? You block everyone. You delete your own words. You can't stand by them. Well, I'm going to go harder at you now. You keep fucking up. So I made a video saying, oh, geez, you know, all these people who are like, free speech. Well, they they clamped down mine because I made a video. No, I'm talking like that. Did you hear the sarcasm? And I go, oh, and they block me. Wait a minute, that's like a ban almost. You know, I'm being a fucking shock jock about it. Do you get what I'm doing? And they wrote a statement. So not only did I get them to block me, potential customers, delete their own tweet. Now within an hour, they've written a statement. The wheels are off the bus. They're spinning. They've lost control of their Twitter account. Because one per. do you see what I'm saying? It's very easy to rattle these people. Whenever I ask men to speak out on Twitter, what do I say? What do I do? I don't know. I don't have the training. I'm not asking you to fucking overthrow an election in Cuba. I'm saying, can you tweet at a comedy club and say they're gross? That's it. Because the next guy that's accused of rape that wants to play there, they'll be like, oh, remember the trouble we had when we booked Callan? And it also empowers the staff to be like, oh, we're not crazy. This is fucked up. You know, I'm a female waitress and I got to go into Brian's dressing room and offer him a drink. And the club has told me they don't give a shit about my safety because they're booking an alleged rapist who, by the way, if he is a rapist and I believe that he is, has he learned, has he stopped raping? Is he post rape? See, This is what we're trying to say. This isn't uh, the time that I stole a marshmallow peeps from CVS when I was young. You can bet I've never done that again. And I love marshmallow peeps. I was a child. I made a mistake. This is a grown man who raped someone when he was a grown man. You usually don't just stop. It's usually a pattern. Okay, maybe he's not going to officially rape anyone again. But will he demean? Will he sexually harass? Come on, people. You're putting your employees in an unsafe position. 
So these clubs blocked me. So now they make a statement and they deleted the statement. Let me read you the statement that they made. This is now they also own Tacoma Comedy Club in Spokane. So we're going to get to that. I played Tacoma once and they never booked me again. And they deny that that happened, but I hadn't played. <laughs> Listen, Spokane, I was supposed to play last year. I'm going to play it again. Uh, we kept, you know, changing the dates. Okay, so this is the statement they made. It pisses me off so much. It pains me to read this, but I'll read it for your entertainment. Twitter. Yes, we have comedians booked who have been accused of terrible things. They won't even say the word rape. This is not us looking the other way. This is us trying to survive a pandemic. So the only way to survive a pandemic is to book a rapist. Okay. We employ 100 people. All of our comedy clubs have female general managers. Female is not the word you should use when you're trying to be feminist. Female doesn't, isn't even specific to human. There's female rhinoceros. So female rhinoceros general managers? You say all of our comedy clubs, all the general managers at our comedy clubs are women who are amazing at their jobs. Oh, and who have never felt unsafe. How do you know? Or maybe they're so, oh, Ava Braun. Maybe they're traitors to the womanhood. Don't use them. We are 50% female owned. Again, a female what? Rhinoceros or human? We are not anti-woman by any means. Well, what the women telling you they feel you are? Me, I'm saying you are. Their whole calendar is filled with just dude comics. Like three headliners a year that are women. We are doing everything we can to stay alive. In the past 10 years, we've paid out millions of dollars to comedians. So? We have brought hundreds of comedians into cities they've not been to. So? Irrelevant. And we have given stage time to countless amateurs. So? Irrelevant. Yeah, amateur men. That's what you all do. We provided thousands and thousands of hours to employees to feed themselves and their families. Yeah, they did a job and you paid them. So? We have donated to hundreds of benefits. So? And given complimentary free tickets to thousands of first responders. Oh, thank you so much. We are not saying this makes any comedian's actions okay. Then why say it? But we do think it's an important or doing everything we can to save that from sinking. Let it sink. If your only option is to book rapists, let it sink. Burn it down. Have some fucking integrity. And don't bullshit a bullshitter that that's your only option. If you're in a pandemic, do you know that you can only seat 25% to 40% capacity? Well, guess what? The, the local yokel that doesn't have to travel, that can come do the club, you say, oh, it's Janet and Tony. You know, they never get stage time because they're not famous, but they're really funny and they can headline. And all y'all who want to come to the club, uh, drinks are half off. If you come and take a chance on the comedians you've never heard of, I know you guys are dying to get out of the house. Not many things are open. They that you can go to indoors. So come on down. Have they tried that? Because I haven't seen that. And people who don't usually get stage time will tend to tell friends and family and they will come out. The other thing that I've heard is that these clubs are actually almost at 80% capacity and there are no masks. So they are saying during a pandemic, we need to book rapists. We also need to have the audience not wear masks and pack them in like sardines. Okay. In a perfect world, we would book the most diverse calendar, but unfortunately, that does not work as a business model. Why? No explanation. No explanation. 
especially during a pandemic. The reason a diverse business model doesn't work for your club is because you're a club that books fucking racist. And do you think women and people of color and gays and trans and non-binary and people with one leg, that they look at your club and go, oh, that'd be fun to go to on a Saturday night? Fuck no. Some comedians sell more tickets than others. Some comedians only want to work theaters or not have layovers. There are a billion things that go into it. Yeah, some people don't want to work during a pandemic because they're not fucking insane. But maybe the locals would. Jen Kirkman commented the word gross on one of our tweets and a customer service employee responsible for monitoring Twitter chose to block her as they would anyone else leaving negative comments. So, okay, so let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. The owner is trying to, I believe he's pretending, now I could be wrong, that they have a social media customer service team. And so why? That's the first thing you cut in a pandemic. You can handle your own Twitter or have a comedian who needs extra money do it freelance. Give him 25 bucks a week for it. Cash. Venmo him. You've got a social media team for each four of your clubs? That's fucking stupid. And they're trained to block negative comments? By the way, you can't... You can hide a reply, but you by blocking someone, it doesn't delete the comments. So you're not even correct about that. So, oh, they think this statement's great. You have got, you can't even wait for what happens next. Tripping all over themselves because little Jen Kirkman wrote gross. Losing their minds. It's so delicious. There was zero intention of silencing a female comedian. Again, is this female comedian have a name? Jen Kirkman. Am I a female orangutan or a female human? Banning a female comedian is unrealistic to expect that all eight of our customer service employees know who every comedian is. What? Or look at every profile when they see a comment. Wait a minute. You have eight people running four Twitter accounts? I run my podcast Twitter account, my Jen Kirkman Twitter account. I run my Instagram. I run my podcast Instagram. I run... My Instagram called Anxiety Bites Weekly, where I give away anxiety tips. I run my podcast DMs. I run uh, Facebook everything. You have eight people for four Twitter accounts. The Twitter accounts don't even have a thousand followers. <laughs> You're bad at this, bro. You're bad at running a club, honey. We are sorry for the perception that Jen believes this puts out. Oh, yeah, it's all just Jen's belief. She's crazy. She's one of the Hare Krishnas with the crazy belief. She got tambourine uh, at the 14th Street uh, uh, subway station and, uh, and, and, she, and wearing a loincloth. That, that crazy beliefs. We are also confused. Jen is saying that blocking her is silencing free speech. No, Jen made a joke that you guys didn't get because you're not good at anything. Yet others have sent screenshots of her blocking them. Wait, so you're getting involved with trolls? I don't block people to silence their free speech. I block people who sexually harass me so I don't have to see it. Is that okay with you? I'm not a business in that sense. I See, I don't want customers who sexually harass women, so I block them. You block people who speak out against sexual harassment. That's the difference, you fucking idiot. Jen's saying we banned her for the club. In fact, we didn't. She's booked at one of our other clubs. And had she been willing to work during this time, she could have helped keep our doors open and we would have loved that. Yeah, I'm not willing to work during a pandemic. I'm not insane. And I don't want to go to your fucking clubs. 
and I never would have worked the Oklahoma Club if you had paid me. We understand some of you will read this and continue to attack, and that attack, writing a tweet is attacking. And that's your choice. Our only intent is to survive as a business. Guilty, guilty. So I tweeted at them, wait, so you guys hire social media people that don't know who comedians are? That seems bad for business. If you fired them, you could save money and then you could survive the pandemic without having to have rapist book uh, go. So they deleted that too. <laughs> I mean, so anyway, so I'm like, what do they mean I'm booked at the... So all these people, these male comedians started tweeting me, you're booked at Spokane in March. Why don't you cancel your dates because a rapist plays there or else you're a hypocrite. So now I have to cancel my dates. So I go, I'm not booked for March. I never approved that. So, you know, because my agent's been sending me emails like, okay, so we're canceling Seattle this year. When do you want to do it in 2021? And I go, as I'm writing my agent back, I'm like, I'm never fucking doing these dates because COVID's not going to end next year either. So I'm like, oh, fuck, I know, whatever, you know. So I think the last thing I wrote to my agent was, um, I don't want to do anything before May of 2021. And I'm probably going to keep pushing that back too. And he was like, okay. So somehow like, I'm not accusing the clubs of doing anything bad. This happens all the time. This part's normal. Somehow they just put my March dates on sale. Um, I don't know how that happened. And I don't know how my agent missed it and didn't be like, no, she's not going anywhere in March. And also, um, I have to approve everything before it goes on sale. I get an email from like my agent's assistant and I just check, oh, they use the right photo and the right bio. Okay, good. So it just went up, you know, it's been up for a while. So I email my agent on a Sunday. I'm like, uh, I don't want to do this club because of COVID, but also because of the way they just treated me online. But I'm also not afraid. I could face this guy and be like, look, we got to fucking talk. But see, you there's certain clubs I do that are kind of scumbaggy. And uh, I'm not saying that these clubs are scumbaggy, but there's some clubs I've done that are really scumbaggy. And the owners know what a loudmouth feminist I am. So they don't even come to the club that night. <laughs> Just like, you know, like the junior managers are there. So um, I'm like, okay, so, so the date's going to be canceled. And I'm going to make an announcement that I'm canceling because of COVID, but also... Um, everyone's right. I think I don't want to perform anywhere that rapists are performing now, which puts me in a bad position because there's other guys that have been accused of things. And I don't always speak up on every single guy because there's some situations that I'm like, it's slightly different or whatever, or just like, I can't do every single fucking person. So I don't want to get into like, I'm quitting because of a rapist. Cause it's really not true. It's really just because of COVID, but going forward, I'm not going to reschedule at that club, but here's the deal. So here's my point. That was just, you know, so that's your People are just bad at their jobs. But the point is this. So I'm sitting here during the pandemic. Now, I live in my own world. Now, I know you all think comedy is this big community, but I don't go out around town and do shows. I'm not one of the comedy store people. You know, I always have other jobs, like I have a writing job or this. So like, I'm very lazy. I go do the road. And when I work out new stuff, I, I throw, you know, five minutes of new stuff during my act on the road. That's how I work it out. A lot of comedians will do the road, then they'll come home and they go up at the comedy store every night. I, I don't need all that attention and all that bonding, but I... So, and I'm, again, guys, please don't go insane and start attacking Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's the least of my problems, okay? I, I don't like his misinformation that he gives, and I know he apologized, and, and I, I don't know what his thing is, but I, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know a word of his material, so that's why I can't comment on it. But the culture of guys that he has made famous, 
And, you know, I always talk about my friend, uh, Bert Kreischer, who, you know, I mean, what, what are we hanging out? No, never. But I run into him sometimes on the road or at an airport and I've done his podcast. And I think in general, he's like got a good heart and he's emailed me about feminist stuff and been like, I'm trying to get better. And like, you know, something you said really helped me with my daughter. And like, I appreciate that. And like, that's how low the bar is for men. And I'm like, what a great guy. But like, even recently, I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I won't make too much of an effort with Bert anymore. Like, he's all in that group. Like, yeah, I don't need this. You know, like, I'm cooler than this. I've always been punk rock. Like, all of a sudden, my life became like, let's see who the least worst of the bad guys are and be cool to them. Like, what? No, I don't want to be horrible to anyone, but I just want to not think about it. So I'm just like, you know, you get your Aries Shapiro's and your, and your, and your, and your Brendan Callen and Brendan Schaub and Callen. And I don't want to name names because everyone's going to start. Oh, but there's this whole group of comedy store guys and Joe Rogan gave them their stamp of approval. They all started podcasts and they all tell these like weird stories that sound like rape. Like, like this guy, Brad Williams, like told a story that's basically like, um, you raped someone. That's what the story was. You know, like, you get all the, I don't know, just all those dudes with their podcasts, you know? A lot of them are at the comedy network I used to be at um, a couple years ago. I just, that's what, I, I didn't get, okay, I guess what I'm saying is this. I didn't notice really that the culture of comedy had changed because I'm not really in any particular group. I'm just Jen Kirkman on the road. And, I, and I'm starting to be like, it's little things like I went in to get uh, this like cortisone shot for my neck arthritis last year. And my doctor's like, you're a comedian as he's about to stick the needle in my neck. He's like, I love comedy. I see Joe Rogan at the comedy store all the time. I'm like, that didn't used to be the thing. It used to be Jerry Seinfeld, your dentist. Like, do you know Jerry Seinfeld? And, now it's, and then it's like that. that it's just the, it's just the, the overlording of, of the Joe Rogan community in that it's just all straight white guys. And they're all like weirdly body obsessed. And they're all just like. It's just all male point of view. Like there's no one different in those groups. Like it's it's like tw- 10 to 12 of them and you go to any comedy club website, it's just the same guys, Andrew Santino and 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 Bobby Lee and Brendan and Brian. And it's just all these like, I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. We just need more other people. But the point is comedy has become synonymous with those guys. I can't fight that system and I don't want to fight. I'm 46 years old. I'm tired. I used to love comedy growing up, but I also loved a perception of it that isn't real. And then I get into the real business of it. I go, oh, this is disgusting. Oh, I don't want to. So what's been interesting during the pandemic was last year, my tour numbers, you know, we're down. And, and of course, that's going to open the doors to people going, because you're not funny. No, it's just like, it's hard to tour unless you're like super, super famous. Like it, it, comedy's weird in the sense that everyone can have their own little scene and their own little thing. And I've got my fans, but you can't make a living off of that per se. Like I don't make enough to live on with my little scene. You know, it's a, always a part-time thing and I always have a writing job. Now you're now, okay. So now it's like, you've got a writing job and you're doing stand-up and you work three, four, 165 days a year and it's a little much. I like to also have a life, you know? And so I started to be like, hey, it's a lot of work to do these independent rock clubs in these small theaters because when you do a comedy club, they have a way bigger email list. The publicity's better, you know? And you don't have to pay for it. And you don't have to pay for your flight. And you don't have to pay for your hotel, you know? Um, So there's a lot of expenses that are covered. When you do your own little rock club or theater, you pay your own flight, pay your own hotel, pay your publicist. So now you're starting at maybe $1,500 in the hole. Then you pay your agent agent manager. That's 20% of what you're going to make. 
a lot of deals are, you know, you might get a guarantee. Okay, even if no one shows up, you get $1,000. But you're still going to be in the hole because your guarantee is always lower than your expenses. That's why you need people to come. So they call that a door deal. So you, you go, you get a guarantee plus blank percent of the door. You don't get that. Now you've just paid to play. So I was like, kind of losing money on some gigs. And I was like, you know what? I forgot how hard this is. I'm just going to go back to clubs. Like clubs are, club audiences are great. They used to be kind of nightmares. It's great. And then now I'm like, uh, I'm always the exception. Like kind of like the one woman that's like not hugely famous. That's not like Whitney Cummings that, that gets booked at clubs. You know, there's a few others for sure. I'm not trying to compliment myself, but I'm one of the few. And I know I'm sick of being one of the few. I just want out. But because here's the thing. I don't like doing five shows in a weekend. And I don't like when clubs, the the business model is the more you drink, the more money they make. But the more you drink, the worse the show is for me. (laughs) They give away free tickets to get people in, in seats so they can sell drinks. So this whole notion of we gave free tickets to first responders, well, that's nice, I guess. But you also give free tickets away all the time anyway, because you don't make money on ticket sales. You make money on booze. So as long as people are drinking, you're making money and no comedians don't get a cut of that. So the point is the whole culture is wrong and I'm just like, no, fuck you all. Fuck, I don't want to do this. So I'm thinking like, hey, well, now that everything's at 25% every, anyway, why don't I go back and play little smaller venues? I mean, I don't know how feasible that is in terms of making money, but just for fun, I can do it. Hopefully I'll get a writing job, you know? Or do this podcast and it'll get more popular, whatever, you know, make money other ways. But I'm just like, yeah, this whole culture, like I didn't realize that comedy had changed that much overnight. And uh, there's another fucking documentary coming out with the comedy store. Enough with the comedy store. It's just, and a lot of dudes feel this way too. And I talked to them about it. Like my guy friends, it's just like, it's such, comedy is now synonymous with the jocks. They took over again. Cause guess what? The nerds didn't hold down the fort. I knew the nerds were never going to be able to hold down the fort because the nerds didn't usher in anyone. They took theirs and left, you see. They left it wide open for the jocks to come back in. So I'm in this blow it up mood. Burn it fucking down. And I don't even know what that means. I'm just telling you the mood I'm in. Oh, Lord. All right, so... Before I get to the last thing I was going to say here is uh, COVID-19, still an issue. Healthcare workers on the front line desperately still need PPE. It is not a given that they have it at their hospital. So I don't know if you guys know this, but I donate 100% of all of my earnings from my merchandise sales to an organization called fundthefrontlines.org. Now, throughout the year, I've been donating to different charities that help people affected by COVID-19 the most. But as of, I think it was June or July, I decided just to keep it simple, everything goes to Fund the Frontlines. I think we've been able to send them $3,000 already, which is great. So just to be clear, I have a merchandise store called Public. Every sale supports an independent designer as well, which is cool. But the thing with Public is I don't run it. It's a giant online company, but they take a cut and then they pay me a percentage. And that percentage that I earn goes. So if you're buying a $20 sweatshirt, no, not all $20 is going to fund the front lines. I think it's more like closer to like 33%. But I donate everything I get. So I have really cool merch. 
Um, I have uh, sweatshirts and hoodies and onesies for a baby and t-shirts and tank tops and iPhone cases and pillows and notebooks. And I even have some of my own merch. Uh, There's a great new logo that I designed. It's uh, women are literally humans. It's a quote from this podcast and you can get like a fun mug. Uh, There's all kinds of things, things that say, uh, I'm fun. I'm not fun. I meditated today, motherfuckers. Things, you know, quotes from my act, girls will be girls. There's even some merchandise with a picture of my sister's cat on it, mittens, a nice black and white kitty. Um, and it's a color photo of Mittens sitting in a hay bale and it says, hey, is in hey, hey girl. It's really cute. It really makes a cute tote bag or a cute mug and uh, all kinds. Of, so again, and I have masks. You can get all kinds of masks. I even made one that looks like, you know, that John Lennon thing, war is over if you want it. Uh, in the same font, it says COVID-19 is over if you wear a mask and you can get a mask that says that. Somebody, of course, on social media was like, well, that actually doesn't help prevent COVID because people can walk right up. It makes people get closer to you to read what it says. Oh, shut the fuck up. Hope you get COVID. Everyone on my comments, get COVID. Um, anyway, so yeah, so I, I would encourage you to do that. You can go to jenkirkman.com and click shop and it'll take you to my merchandise store. Or if you go to my Twitter at Jen Kirkman or my Instagram at Jen Kirkman, I have one of those mega links, you know, the link in my bio links to everything you could possibly want from me. It links to my Patreon. It links to shopping for my merchandise. It links to my free anxiety newsletter that you can join. It links to, um, I'm teaching two relaxation classes. This is another thing I've been really getting into during the pandemic and I feel good about myself for it. God damn it. Is I help people with their anxiety by showing them breathing techniques and muscle relaxations and affirmations that they can think and uh, kind of explain, you know, kind of how it works, kind of how we go from sympathetic to parasympathetic nervous system response. And I teach those classes over Zoom and 15% of all the proceeds go to the ADAA.org, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And you can get those at buymeacoffee.com slash Jen Kirkman, or you can, again, just go to uh, at Jen Kirkman on Twitter or Instagram, click the massive link and it'll take you right to there. But I'm doing those classes this Sunday, the 27th at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. over Zoom. You are muted. I do not call on you. I do not look at you or make fun of you. And after class, you get a video of the class and a big honkin' PDF study guide file so that you can go over what you learned. I mean, come on, you guys. I want you to join that. It really helps. All right. All right. So here we go. Um, Last week, an email, a listener emailed me and asked me, she was watching that show Away on Netflix, which is uh, Hillary Swank in, in on Mars. And uh, she asked if my listeners had any um, irrational fears. Her, her irrational fear was of going to space. And it's irrational because no one's ever going to ask her to go to space. Uh, Kevin writes, Jen, as I've gotten older, I have less and less capacity to watch TV shows and movies that have characters in any sort of peril. It's gotten so bad that I can't even bear to watch cartoon movies. I couldn't bear to watch The Secret Life of Pets, for God's sake. I'm a little better with books, but not much. When I happen to see a scene with someone in peril, kidnapped, being chased, scared, I will fixate and dwell on it and even have trouble sleeping. It's ridiculous. Uh, Hey, Jen, there's nothing really unique or exciting about my fear of heights. It has a clinical name, FFS. 
Well, I wonder what that stands for. Uh, But it doesn't make it any less irrational. Example, back when I was in college, some friends and I were on a spring break trip in Mexico and we climbed to the top of a Mayan pyramid. I didn't look down when I was walking up the chair-like structure, so I was fine at first. But when I got to the top and turned around, I completely freaked out and was afraid to walk back down, even though my friends were practically running down it with ease and without a care in the world. I pretty much had to crawl down it backwards, step by step, like a toddler without looking down. I guess I also have this weird fear of crashing into parked cars because I have a frequently recurring dream about it. Phobically yours, Jeff. I mean, there's nothing worse than being at the top of an anything and being like, oh, I can't get down quickly at all. Oh, this is fucked. But usually, you know, like, <laughs> like walking, crawling backwards step by step. Once I started doing that for about 60 seconds, I think the adrenaline would flood me. I would have my massive panic attack and then be like, oh, okay. But it's amazing that this guy Jeff did it the whole time. <laughs> Oh, God. Um, Okay, let's read one last article. It really ties in nicely with everything we're talking about, you know, Um, you know, femininity or female stuff and space. So I read this thing. And I think, of course, how typical, you know, uh, the old trope men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Now, I know no scientist ever said that, that it's a, uh, you know, it's a relationship self-help book written for straight dorks. But, um, you know, I just thought it was kind of interesting that like Venus is the god, you know, the goddess. I mean, Venus is a feminine symbol. So uh, this is from the Atlantic in the science section from September 14th. The headline, all this cool stuff is happening in space and science, but because everything else is such a shit show, um, something weird is happening on Venus. The discovery of a strange gas in its atmosphere puts the planet into the realm of a perhaps inhibited world, a researcher says. After the moon, Venus is the brightest object in the night sky, gleaming like a tiny diamond in the darkness. Shine bright like a diamond. Oh my God, Jen, don't do that ever again. The planet is so radiant because of its proximity to Earth, but also because it reflects most of the light that falls across its atmosphere more than any other world in the solar system. But something really weird is happening in those clouds. Scientists revealed today which was September 14th, that they have detected traces of a gas in the Venusian atmosphere that, according to everything they understand about Venus, shouldn't be there. They considered many explanations for what could be producing the gas, known as phosphine, and settled on an explanation guided by what they know about our own planet. On Earth, phosphine, a toxic gas, is produced by microorganisms. As crazy as it might sound, our most plausible explanation is life, said Clara Souza Silva, a molecular astrophysicist at MIT and one of the authors of the new study. Before everyone starts screaming, I need to emphasize that the discovery of phosphine molecules in Venus's atmosphere does not mean that scientists have found proof of alien life. The detection is simply evidence of a phenomenon scientists can't yet explain. The phosphine could be created by some form of life, or it could be forged by a chemical process that scientists just haven't seen before. Either way, Venus, a world with a reputation for being hot and hellish, just became one of the most intriguing and closest spots in the universe for investigating the question of whether life exists beyond Earth. A NASA rover is currently on its way to Mars, 
to look for signs of life. But the robot is designed to find long dead microbes preserved in the rusty soil for billions of years. The phosphine discovery on Venus presents the tantalizing possibility that life might be on Venus right now. Unlike that dusty old fucking Mars. I added that last sentence. That was not in the Atlantic. If this discovery is confirmed, which will likely require sending a spacecraft, we would know for the first time in human history that the solar system has two planets where life exists. In a cosmic sense, we wouldn't be alone anymore. Now, isn't that interesting? Mars, the male planet, that just got dusty old, crusty old sperm up there, and we keep sending things up there, just ignoring Venus, who's like, I'm the brightest planet, no? Why would not the feminine planet be the one that has life? We give life. Well, not me. I never had kids. Oh, it's just, isn't it just so interesting for these times? Like, hey, look over here. Yeah, the women, women, sign a life in women. Leave the fucking Mars rover to rot on the dusty old sperm. Go out the comedy clubs on Mars. Let them book all the rapists and we'll find their dusty sperm in years to come. Oh my God, I've been going off until next week. Have fun. Have fun. 